Good afternoon, ladies. We're going to go ahead and get started. We know people will be making their way in. I just wanted to introduce myself. I am Sharon Atwell, and my job this afternoon in our workshop, by the way, this is finding joy again after loss. So if that's what you wanted to be listening to, you're in the right place. Finding joy again after loss. Yes, and I'm, I'm Sharon Atwell. I'm going to be um, the moderator. And um, I, speaking of loss, I myself have personally experienced infant, early infant loss, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, and miscarriage. And I've been trained in grief counseling. Um, and over here you can see Joni Stevens. She is a brave woman taking on the job of room coordinator. So make sure you're nice to her because she's going to be going around and... If she has to be a little bossy, be, be kind. She's going to be collecting the, yeah, the question cards and making sure everybody has those. Um, and we have Mary Schroeder. She's going to be doing our, she's our main speaker, speaking on the loss of marriage and ministry, abandonment, how to have a thankful heart, and to find an underlying joy amidst life's challenges. And we have a supporting story speaker, Nicole Millen over here. And she will be speaking on a different kind of loss, abortion, recovery, forgiveness, how to receive God's grace. Uh, regarding the question cards, hands up if you do not have a question card and you would like one. And Joni will just make her way around. I just wanted to give you a bit of an FYI with that. Um, the best chance to have your question answered would be to get get it in as soon as, as early as possible. So I just really encourage you, even before the, the speakers, if you'd like to already have a question that you write out regarding recovery from, from grief, maintaining joy. Um, I'd, I'd encourage you to um, not put your name on it so that it's confidential, unless it doesn't matter to you. Um, and, and another way to keep it confidential would be to fold it, uh, if you'd like. So please just don't put your name on, fold it, and put your hand up, and Joni will be going around to collect. Um, if you have an intention of, of a particular speaker that your question's intended to be for, if you'd really like this question to be for Mary or for Nicole or for myself, then please put the name on the top, and that will really help us. Um, otherwise, I'll probably determine whatever I feel best suited, or maybe the ladies themselves will decide they want to jump in on that particular question. Okay, so unless the name is at the top, we'll kind of determine that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you're here with us, Lord. I thank you for your sweet presence. I ask God that your Holy Spirit would wash over us, Lord, that you'd bring us your peace, Lord, your presence, your joy. And I ask you to direct everything that goes on in this place for the next hour, God, that you would direct the words that are said, Lord, that you would help the women who are here, Father, to receive the word that you have intended for them today. And I thank you, Jesus, that we have this opportunity, Lord, today to glean from your word and to learn from one another, Lord. I thank you that you created us for community and help us to be iron sharpening iron for one another today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I have the privilege of introducing Nicole just to tell a little bit about this beautiful lady here. Nicole is married to her knight in shining armor, Dave, and she has three beautiful children, lovely children. They're all adults, almost young adults now, and a son-in-law to be added in April. 
She has attended Good News Church for the past 18 years, and she served in children's ministry, youth ministry, hospitality. Right now, she oversees the training of the altar workers, and um, she is a case manager at Restored Hope, which is a a transitional living facility for homeless single moms and their kiddos. And she has a passion to help women be set free from the shackles of their past and to live out the full life that Christ has promised for them all. Nicole found the Lord 28 years ago when she exchanged a life of desperation for hopefulness. During that time, he revealed himself to her as a faithful and loving father. He loved her so much that he prodded her to seek and receive healing from all her areas of woundedness. And she's going to be speaking on that today. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, kudos to you brave women. This is a hard, hard uh, workshop to be in sometimes, but I am so thankful. First of all, I just want to thank Carrie and the leadership team for approaching and addressing topics that lots of times in your churches are taboo. Um, And so that's the only way we can have real healing is being transparent with ourselves and hearing other people's success stories and how we can follow in that, you know, help help each other across that bridge to success. So... um, I grew up in a farming ranching community, and there was a lot of trapping done in that area. It was in the mountains, and so it was not uncommon to every now and then to see like a raccoon or a fox or coyote running around maybe with three legs because they had gotten caught in a trap, and their only decision at that point to um, get out of it was to chew off their limb. And I'm really glad we've already had lunch. So (laughs) in August of 1982... I found myself in in a trap, and then I also found myself shortly thereafter at a Planned Parenthood in Durango, Colorado. I was caught in a trap, and my only choice I felt at that point was to do what those animals did in a a deed of desperation. And I was brought up in a very, very moral, upper-middle-class family um, from a a lineage of very strong women. My grandmother, my great-grandmother was an original suffragette, She was also an original silver pioneer in Colorado. And so it was just an interesting dynamic to grow up in. But I opted to have an abortion, much to the um, disagreement of the father of the baby. He wanted to do the right thing, but I was a woman, hear me roar, and I was going to take charge of my life. Shortly after that, my life just imploded. It went down into a spiral of drugs, drinking, dangerous living, to distract and quiet all those voices in my head. Now, it didn't shut them off. It just quieted them. It medicated them. It blanketed them. But I had to continue that lifestyle to keep that going because if I started listening to the voices in my head, I would have probably jumped off a bridge. Who knows where I'd be right now? I truly believe I would not be here. There was an extended season of self-sabotage after that because you're sense of worth is gone. As a woman, you've just done the, the largest thing that you could do that you were created to do. You've just stopped that. And even though I wasn't a Christian at their time, there was still a wound in there that I knew only God could heal. But what God would want me, I had done what I thought the unforgivable sin. And that is a lie directly from the pit of hell right there. Um, I was losing excellent jobs. I had great jobs at that time, but I could not see myself worthy of succeeding in anything. Relationships, career, family, life. 
There's an intense period of partying and everything else that goes with that lifestyle. I worked at ski areas. I would normally make, this is back in the early 80s, I would make at least $200 a night in tips that would be gone by mid-afternoon of the next day. It was, it was a crazy lifestyle. I never expected to live past the age of 40 just because of the destination that I had chosen for myself. And then I met Dave, and he was where God proved that God loved me even when I denied him. Dave and I ended up getting married, and he knew my trash. It was one of the second dates I told him my secret. I had never told anybody else that I had had an abortion. And Dave, God bless him, looked at me and says, okay. <laughs> and that was it for me. It was a sealed deal. He chased me until I caught him. <laughs> because anybody that could, that could accept that from me was with me forever. And, but I was still partying. I still had those voices in my head. I still had the sense of self-worth going on, self-worthlessness, excuse me, going on. So we, we continued in that lifestyle and in the beautiful areas of Colorado. Then all of a sudden, we got removed from there and placed in Omaha, Nebraska. We had gotten taken out of our toxic playground and everything that went with us. And since, since I didn't have anybody to go party with, I started self-medicating. It's amazing what allergy medication can do for you. So <clears throat> that just started on, and my poor husband didn't know what type of woman he was going to come home to, <laughs> whether it was going to be like Carissa was talking last time. I am full of passion also. I'm not Hispanic, but I can give them a run for their money. <laughs> and so really didn't know if he was going to come home to the raging maniac or the loving wife. So, <clears throat> you know, once again, when you see my husband, just give him a silver medal. <laughs> And then we found a very tangled path to Jesus. It came through a flower child hippie and an Orthodox Jew. And that is, yeah, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Back when Carrie asked me if I'd speak at this, at this workshop, and she told me what the topics were, I thought, my life's been such a hot mess. Why don't you just tell me because I can fill them all. So, <laughs> and, you know, I had that honeymoon with Jesus. I had the honeymoon of the new life. I remember it so well, and that like everything became white in my head, but that honeymoon soon left, and then the accusing internal voices started again, and I started self-medicating again just to shut them up. I didn't really know how to take control of my thought patterns because they had taken control of me for so long. I didn't know how to break that habit. And it was exhausting to go to church. Remember, we're saved at this point. So everything's supposed to be great, right? We're supposed to leave everything at the cross. Christ is going to take care of it. Well, in the spirit realm, that is very true. But we have got things that we need to do here on this earth to walk through, to become healed and whole and the creature that he created us to be. It was exhausting to go to church. My gosh, what would people think of me if they only knew? If they only knew. I mean, my heart is still racing just thinking about that. Conversations around that topic were excruciating. Because even though the people didn't know, they were throwing swords and spears at my heart. One in three women in the church have been a victim of abortion. And people say, oh, yeah, because we're bringing in the lost and unsaved. No. In my healing groups that I've facilitated, I've worked with pastors' daughters, deacons' wives. After they've gotten saved, they have become a victim of abortion. So it's happening in our churches. 
And almost all of us have been touched by it. And I could anticipate women that suffer with post-abortion trauma can anticipate that word coming out of anybody's mouth. I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. But Holy Spirit was gently and lovingly prodding me to get this area of my life healed. But really, was there such a thing? I had been this way for 17 years. So was it, was it possible? I finally allowed and forced myself to listen to a Focus on the Family broadcast on post-abortion trauma. And I was doing dishes at that time. David taking the kids upstairs for a bath. And I sat there, and I just filled the sink with tears. I had never, ever heard the term post-abortion trauma. And it actually is a diagnosed syndrome under PTSD. I called him the next day, and I talked, cried, blubbered to Trudy on the other end of the line for two hours. We shared our stories. It was the first time I've talked to, I had talked to anybody else that had an abortion. And praise God, she had come to the other side of the bridge, and she was willing to walk with me across that bridge. She overnighted me a huge packet of resources and ultimately hope that my life didn't have to be guided by this one past decision and all the emotional and spiritual fallout that came with it. Holy Spirit was now sowing the seeds of hope and a warrior spirit to keep going. But the little church we were in all of a sudden had a brochure in their bulletin about a uh, class coming up at the Center for Pregnancy Counseling, which is now the Assure Women's Center, that was talking about women that needed healing for their past abortion decisions. I called, and I actually went. Twelve women were in the room, and each of us, as everybody walked in, would look and have the huge deer-in-the-headlight look, like, wow, I am not the only one. Because remember, it is that still, silent thing that we don't talk about. And that's one of the great tactics of Satan, is to isolate and whisper lies. That was 17 years after I'd had my abortion. That is way too long to carry that putrid sack of lies. It was the hardest nine weeks of my life, but so worth it. Dave thought his life was interesting before. It got really interesting during those nine weeks. Every spectrum of emotion that you could think of, I went through. But the idea is I went through. I didn't get stuck there because I had people to help walk me through it. Six months after the class was over, I was reading um, a good friend of mine. She's become a really good friend of mine. Her name is Sidna Massey. And she's got a phenomenal ministry called Rama International. And I was reading her book, Her Choice to Heal. And it's her story, her abortion story. And during that time, I remember laying there in bed, and God spoke to me. And he said, her name is Heather Marie. She's just fine. And she's here waiting for you. Healing comes in layers. But each layer is easier to peel and to deal with as you have other victories to lean on and you realize that God knows the plans that he has for you, plans for a hope and a future, not for harm and destruction. And that is something that I want to encourage all of you, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what wounds you have, find people to help you walk through that and realize it does not have to determine your life. Good. Thank you, Nicole. That was that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. 
I have the privilege now of, oh, before we do this, I actually wanted to remind you about the cards. Sorry. If you could just, um, Joni's walking around, and if you could raise your hand again, if you have a card uh, with a question, again, it can be just for anyone in particular, if you put their name on the on the top or just anonymous and fold it, and she'll be collecting. Um, I, I now get to introduce Mary. Mary was born and raised in Omaha, and she was married for 20 years. She has four beautiful children. And I have a feeling one of them is over there in the corner, the cutie over there who's waving at you, Lisa. Um, her oldest two are married, and she has six awesome grand blessings. And Mary has co-pastored various churches for 18 years throughout the whole country. And she has moved 23 times. She was divorced 16 years ago. And she's a single mom who has worked in a variety of occupations. She worked in the medical field. She worked as a nurse and a dental hygienist, to name only a few. She started her own business at one point. Uh, and presently, she's back in school in Bible college. She's studying to become licensed um, as a counselor. She's experienced many profound challenges and tra transitions in life's journey. Through it all, though, she's learned that what we see and experience here and now is just temporary. And the important things are the ones that are eternal. And the Lord has taught her to see the light in the darkest of circumstances and that Jesus is always enough. Amen. Introducing Mary. I'm going to start crying. I know. <laughs> well, um, Carrie did such a good job. Well, I thank you, first of all, Nicole. That's awesome that you shared that and, and became vulnerable. And, and, you know, as women, I mean, just in the church, it's so cool when we become vulnerable, share our testimonies, because that's when healing comes, you know, because... Everybody's going through stuff. Everybody in this room has a story. Everybody in this room has a past. And, you know, the thing is it can become his story. Your history can become his story as you turn to him. And um, I want to start out today with a funny. Nehemiah 8.10 is the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I have one just fresh off the, uh, I don't know what you call it, but fresh, just fresh today. I'm sitting over by my daughter, and this is totally me, you guys. Clothing and I are... I would wear jeans, sweatpants, and a hoodie. That's what I live in. And so, anyway, that's my life and tennis shoes. So I borrowed this from my daughter, other daughter today to wear. And Lisa is like, Mom, you have your shirt on backwards. <laughs> so literally today, this was in the back. I had, I had to go change right before we came up because this was in the back. And so anyway, that is totally me. And I just had to share that because I just cracked up laughing. I thought, oh, my goodness. Because I was sharing another time at another place, and I had the tags on a sweater still. So somebody came up and said, hey, you've got your tags on. I'm like, nice sweater, but you got tags on. Anyway, so, you know, you got to learn to laugh, you know, because life throws you circumstances, and the journey of life can get pretty funny, you know, of what comes our way. And I thought Carrie did such a great job this morning on, and last night on John 10.10, and uh, that the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly to us. And, you know, it's our barometer. That's such a good verse to use as a barometer in our life. You know, when things are happening in our life and you're like, why are it, what is hitting and why is this happening? Go back to John 10.10. Where is that coming from? You know, it, and, and what Pastor Chris shared too, you know, our identity, we are seated 
with Jesus in the heavenly places. Ephesians says that. And Satan is under our feet. So when we realize with our barometer, our heavenly barometer, what's happening in our lives, we can just speak and take our rightful authority and tell Satan to get under our feet. So I was just thankful last night, just really blessed me in this morning, and and Pastor Chris, which she shared, if you were in here today talking about stress. Um, Anyway, I want to start out by reading Philippians 4, then I'm going to get into my story. So Philippians 4, and I'm going to open up and read it. Let me get there. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Just remember that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. It's a choice. We don't have to be anxious. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And this verse jumped out at me years ago, verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me do these things. Then the God of peace will be with you. And so all of these things he's saying we can have, but we have to do them. It's a choice. We have to do the things. So I just wanted to say in here, sometimes, you know, hurts, wounds, losses, um, pains come in our life. And, and sometimes we choose them, and sometimes we don't choose them. And sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. Well, life happened to me. You know, I was married, like, uh, like um, Sharon said, for 20 years. We pastored. We actually started a church in Omaha. Uh, it was an offshoot of, of Glad Tidings slash Good News Church, actually. It was a plant in North Omaha. And that was years ago. Um, and so we started more inner city church. And actually, my husband started the church, and I came to the church and met him as a little sheep, uh, and I got married to him. (laughs) So we ended up uh, getting married and um, started pastoring, you know, together. Um, So I'm going to just read this to you because, you know, this is kind of a... um, a cliff note, if you guys know what cliff notes is, or just a trailer, you know, of my life. And I decided, I know I'll go in so many bunny trails and rabbits that it's better I read it. So I'm going to read it, and then at the end I'll share some other things, okay? Um, so I've been married. I've been through a divorce that I didn't really want or I didn't really choose. I was married for 20 years. We moved 22 times during our marriage. We have lived out without a car for a year. We had a car repossessed while we were in Tulsa. Eighteen of those years, we served as pastors in several churches. We pioneered a work right here, like I said, in Omaha for 11 years, and then we moved out to work in Indiana, in South Bend, Indiana, with Dr. Lester Sumrall. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was trained up under um, Smith Wigglesworth. And all of our moves that we did were done to serve the Lord in another capacity in the body of Christ. Or so I thought, and I believed that. 
We left South Bend, Indiana after Dr. Summerall passed away. We were asked by Dr. Summerall to take over the church in South Bend, but we refused due to his children that were running the ministry. We were asked to leave that ministry in a very hurtful way. In fact, my husband was in his office sitting, and his son came in with another person with an actual cart and picked his desk up, moved it out of the office, and he was left sitting in a chair in the middle of the office. And we were told we had to be out of the parsonage that we were in in two weeks. Um, So it was a pretty quick move out of there. So we were like, what do we do? Um, It was an issue that my ex used to travel with doctor, and they became very close. And, uh, and so when we were asked to take over the church, it wasn't favored well, you know, with, with the rest of the family. Um, so when we were there faced in this situation, uh, we had to make a quick decision. So we ended up moving our belongings into these friends' barn, which was, you know, what we thought at the time was a good idea but it wasn't because everything we put in there was pretty destroyed by the time we got it. Um, and then at that point, too, my oldest son asked me, Mom, are we gypsies? Because <laughs> we kept moving and being transplanted. Um, I really attempted to make lemonade out of life's lemons in every situation. My husband went into depression. I'll talk about this a little later. We had been asked to join staff at several churches other than from where we were, but none of them panned out. Uh, We ended up moving back to Omaha after a year of living in my mother. We moved into my mother-in-law's house out in South Bend temporarily. Um, We moved back to Omaha, and we moved into my parents' lake home. So there we were, living out at the lake home. Actually, it wasn't so bad. I loved the lake. It was great. It was beautiful. Anyway, so um, we moved back there, and we were there for a year before we had a job offer in Missouri. My husband took a job to pastor in a large church in Missouri in November, and the kids and I stayed up at the lake home, and the kids went to school in Valley, Nebraska, um, until May. So I would drive the kids back and forth every weekend to go see Dad. Um, After moving um, to St. Joseph, where we were in Missouri, we lived in a little studio apartment. We couldn't, or he said he didn't find anything for us to live into. We literally had like a full-size bed. The kids all lived, had sleeping bags, and they had a little Tupperware container for their clothes. You remember this? And we had a dog, and we lived on the top floor. And so here we were. I just had to laugh a lot. I mean, I got for it to be friends with Linda at Linda's Laundromat because, I mean, I would take the sleeping bags to go wash. I would take everything there and towels, and, we'd, and the kids all came with me, and we'd tote them down and take up two rows of the laundromat washing machine and dryers, and that's what we lived. We lived that for months. Um, we had a little efficiency kitchen, so I would just take turns with them eating. <laughs> Be like, your turn, sit down, here you go, everybody eat. So we did that. And, and the funny thing is, you guys, I mean, I, guess, I always just looked at the silver lining and everything. I had friends would call and say, hey, can my kids spend the night? I'm like, sure, have them bring their sleeping bag. I'm like, well, we had no room, but I, we, we just all squeezed in and had a party. So anyway, um, so we were there for probably six to eight months in that little efficiency. So what happened after that is we were kind of looking for houses and 
uh, we would put bids on houses and things would fall through. And so it was just kind of crazy deal. Um, ended up moving into this French provincial mansion that was built in 1875. It was a money pit. I don't know what, what we did this for. All of our stuff came from Indiana. It was pretty much destroyed. I mean, there was cat detail. You got the detail. I don't have to go into it. So the each floor in this mansion was 2,500 square feet. So we had three floors. And we all took a Christmas picture in the fireplace because it was big enough. We all stood in there as a family downstairs because that heated the main floor. But the funny part, it was, have you seen the movie The Money Pit or whatever, the, that whatever? I've never seen it. But the classic part is why did we move in there? Because actually my ex-husband's ability to repair was duct tape. So uh, we were really good at destroying things. So anyway, but we, so we spent money that we really didn't have to refinish this floor and the second floor so we could live there. Um, and so here we were, we did the demo and then some people in the church were pastoring came in and, you know, fixed up the second floor. So we're living in this French provincial mansion, but I kept thinking, what are we thinking? You know, why are we here? And um, my sister, who has since passed, always had this level, level, level head. And she came down right after we moved all the stuff into the house in a pile. And I'm literally sitting in the foyer of this house, which is huge. I mean, we hosted a Bibles, Bagel, and Bach event there, and we had 75 people in the foyer. I mean, it was a big, big. So I'm sitting there with my little furniture just going. I was overwhelmed. I mean, I was just like crying. I'm like, how am I going to take care of this? And I mean, and then the, the kitchen was the, a pit. I mean, the whole house was. Anyway, so she walks in and said, what are you thinking? I said, I, we're here. Just roll up your sleeves and let's get working. So anyway, we ended up being in this house only for a year because a couple from Kansas City came up and asked if uh, they could buy our house. So uh, my ex just shot them a huge price and they took it. So we packed up again. So we were looking and looking for another house. We ended up uh, residing in another place in, in um, St. Joe, which was a really nice little house. And we met some wonderful people there. St. Joe was a great community for us to be in. And uh, am I doing okay on time? Okay. And um, so we ended up just greatly connecting there. Um, but then, you know, we ended up having to move again. And so um, my husband came to me and said, we're going to look at a church in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was begging him not to because, number one, he was going to quit his job again. We'd gone through this many times where we weren't employed. We didn't have a salary. Um, it was very stressful. I mean, I was thinking when Carrie was talking about security, I really have never had that. I've never had security in a marriage. I've never had that. And so it's a, it's a huge thing for women to have, you know. But I had to turn to Jesus for my security through everything. Jesus is my rock. And I have this chair. I mean, through all of life, I have a prayer chair. And I would go sit in that chair. It's a burgundy recliner. And when I sat in that chair, that was my time with Jesus. And I would cry out to him. And in every turn, in every bend, on every front, when I would cry out to Jesus... He was always there and always faithful in every situation. And I'm going to go into that, too, a little bit later. I'm going to finish up my story. So here we were, moving again. 
we went down to speak at a church in Tulsa. It's called Believer's Church. It's a big church. And they asked Ken to come, uh, uh, him to come on staff. So we um, ended up selling our house, and it sold like in two days. And, but I remember sitting at the table signing the papers, sobbing. I was sobbing. My realtor, the realtor came over and was like, oh, me. And uh, my ex-husband didn't do that, but the realtor was like, you know. And I'm just like, okay, you know, I'll sign. And because I just loved being there. We had such dear friends. So we ended up moving down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is a beautiful place to live. Um, and I would always pray, God, just take care of my babies, take care of my kids, protect their hearts. Lord, help them feel stable, help them feel secure. Lord, plug them into where they need to be, to be fruitful and to whichever, wherever it was in the schools in the programs or at churches, wherever, just for them, for their hearts. So God was always faithful with that. I can tell you that. Not that they didn't go through struggles, too, because we were uprooted a lot. So we ended up moving down to Tulsa. We were in a temporary housing apartment type thing. I don't know what they're called. Like, people move and stay there for, like, six weeks or eight weeks. I don't know. Anyway, so there we were. And uh, my ex got offended at something that the board said. So he told me he was going to write this email. And I read it. And I said, please, please. Please don't send this. You're offended. Don't send it. This isn't wise. Well, he sent it. Well, then the next morning we were without a job. So there we were in Tulsa, you know, four kids. Uh, we had a dog and we had no house or job. So here we were sitting in this little, you know, wherever we were in this little extended stay place. So I was just, you know, once again, you know, here we are, God, what, what are we going to do? And, you know, he would say to me, oh, I feel so bad. And I would be just, I would really be loving. And I'm like, no, God's got this. You know, God, I would always support him. And God, we're going to, we're going to make it through this and just lift him up. And um, so anyway, what happened is my dear mother-in-law ended up loaning money for a house. So we ended up buying a house down there, which we really couldn't afford and um, starting a church. Well, at that time, um, my ex was really changing. I mean, really becoming a different man. And I mean, I remember time my youngest was having a little birthday party that we had at the house, and he kind of came um, out jogging in these bright yellow shorts and stood in the middle of all these kindergartners just dancing. And, and I thought, this is just inappropriate. It really made me kind of get sick. And I was like, stop, just stop, you know, just stop. We're having this little game. You don't need to be in there. And then another thing happened. I was in the kitchen one time, and um, he came in and was just really teasing my son, who at the time was 16, and big guy, played football, and uh, um, was just inappropriate with him. And I remember my son just picked him up because he was very strong and just kind of pitched him across the kitchen and said, don't touch me. And I just remember taking this all in thinking, what is going on? And then my son said, mom, why have the roles changed? What's happened? And I'm like, honey, you know, I just kept praying. I'm like, I kept seeing this changes and, and more of a um, chasm between us. And, um, and I have to say, all along in our home, we had people live with us. And we had either young men live with us or we had 
I mean, up to my age men living with us. And and I always felt awkward with it. I mean, I knew it was ministry. And even when we were here in Omaha, I called it my 1130 at night ministry because I'd make cookies and all of these young men that were sitting, you know, staying with us, I'd sit and minister to them at that point because, you know, teenagers, that's when they want to talk. It's 11 or 1130 when we're half asleep. But that's when they want ministry. So that's what I called it. But we always had guys living with us. So anyway, um, when we were, I'm kind of jumping around here and I'm not reading, I should, but we were living in Missouri and I almost had an affair because I was lonely and uh, my husband was gone all the time. He was gone in ministry, gone traveling, gone, gone, gone. And so I was at home and all these young men would be over and this gentleman wasn't that far away from my age. He would show the kids attention. It blessed me because I could see how he'd play with the kids out in the, out in the, you know, yard and things that I desired, you know, for my husband to be doing. Well, we became attracted to each other and I almost had an affair and I was praying in my prayer chair one day and the Holy Spirit's like, you need to call him and tell him never to come back to the house or not to come back to the house and tell him what. And so I did. I called him and said, Exactly right, because I wasn't going to go in that route. You know, I, was, I didn't want to go there. Anyway, so back down to Tulsa. So here we were in Tulsa. We were in the extended stay. Um, we were in Tulsa for about four months, and then my mom passed away suddenly. And then about nine months later, I ruptured two discs in my back. So I was without, not able to work, excruciating pain. And... Um, At that time, I was really praying, you know, God, show me anything. You know, the scripture, whatever is hidden will be revealed. So I just kept praying and praying, God, bring to light, bring to light what is going on. Um, So I did go into the living room at that time, and I said, would you please tell me what is going on? And he's, as I shuffled, you know, into the the living room to sit, he came in and, and then told me he was battling with homosexuality. And had been for a long time. And kind of told me, you know, he never really was attracted to me. He never, ever desired me. Uh, He never, um, pretty much didn't love me. He'd wanted to be with people that he could be attracted to. And so I was just kind of sitting there numb, you know. Although, I mean, I remember God is so good. I've got to tell you, it's God's grace that gets you through everything. And I just sat there like I was in a movie, but it wasn't really real. You know, I was just like, am I going to wake up to this? And I remember one time standing in the kitchen just in the middle of the night just praying. I'm like, God, is this real and really happening? Well, it was real. And, you know, it did really happen. And, um, you know, I'd put the kids on the bus to go to school or get them to school, and I'd lay on my face in prayer seeking God. And I called Exodus Ministries. I called a lot of different ministries to get him help. But you know, if you don't want to go there and don't want to submit to it, you're not going to get free. And so there was one evening, again, he was out. He was supposed to be watching my son wrestle. And my son came in the house, 1130. I'm like, where did, where's dad? And he goes, I never saw him. And so Lo and behold, you know, he got home that night later about 3 in the morning, and I, I, and I never lost it. I'm pretty peaceful. It takes me a lot to get pushed, a lot. And I um, remember going into him and said, listen, 
you can go to these places and get set free. And then he basically got in my face and said, you want me to go to prison? I said, well, you're already in it. You're already in prison. You can go get set free. You don't have to be behind bars to be in prison. We can be in prison emotionally. We can be in our own prison and just carry it around every day. And so, and I even swore. I didn't, I don't usually swear. But I said a swear word to him, and I'm not recommending that. But I was told, I just got in his face, and I was so mad. And I was just like, you can go and get free, but he didn't want to do it. And so reality hit, you know. But here I was, too, with my disc, supposed to have back surgery, back to the disc. But God, you guys, God is so good. I was struggling having surgery. And because I thought, no, Jesus, you're my healer. I don't want to have surgery. Plus, emotionally, I was a wreck. I mean, going through a ton. And um, I went in for surgery that day. And I think Lisa was home with the fever. And she shared. And so when I went in for surgery, I was actually laying on the gurney with my little, you know, flick things on my hat. And just. And they came in and said, you can't have surgery. You have a fever. I'm like, oh, darn. I mean, I, I was ready to jump. I jumped out of there, and I walked out perfectly fine. I'm like, yes. Anyway, God healed my back. So, so you know, I... It's God is good, you know, and and thank you, Lisa, for sharing your fever. I would have had surgery. And um, so anyway, really fast pace here. So, you know, here we are. It's December. You know, uh, my husband decided to leave the family the next day after Christmas. It was a big scene. It was really hard. Um, my dad came down. We, you know, we used to call my dad Jethro because he had so much wisdom. And he was great. He, he was loving to my ex-husband, and, uh, but just really, are we winding up? I better hurry. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so God is faithful through it all. Anyway, he ended up leaving, um, and so it was me and the kids. So then what are we going to do? We ended up moving back to Omaha. Fast forward. I was a single parent of kids from 16 down to 6, four kids. Had to figure out how to raise them. What are we going to do, Lord? And uh, roll up the sleeves and get going. So, um, so you get the picture. Life was a real roller coaster for our family. Um, God hates divorce. And I stood for my marriage for two years. I stood for him to be restored, uh, for us to be restored. But I had to go on. And, you know, forgiveness is a choice. You can keep bitterness in your heart, you can, and there, there are evil roots that get wound right at, r- tight around your heart. talks about the root of bitterness in Hebrews. Um, you can be set free, completely set free. You know, I had a choice to carry brokenness. I had a choice to carry the hurts and the wounds, and it took time. You know, my heart had stuffed so many things down, had so many layers that it took time for me to just get with the Lord and people. I went through a ministry here in Omaha called Fresh Start, which deals with forgiveness and in hurts, wounds, and losses. And then uh, the ultimate journey that we hear, I did that. I did the first two. You know, I didn't go through three yet. Sorry, Jerry. Anyway, um, but it it's awesome. There's things that you need, and you need the body when you're going through hurts and losses, you've got to connect because the enemy wants you to isolate. And you guys, I remember I didn't even know how to get prayer because I was always praying for people. I was the pastor's wife. But it was like I remember a friend asked me to go up to a ladies' Bible study. I'm going really fast. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, 
I, I was so paralyzed, I didn't need, know how to go get prayer. So she took me by my little hand. I felt like I was five, you know. And this person laid hands on me and really had an awesome word for me. So run, to, for, run for freedom. I sought it. I sought the Lord with my whole heart. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. That is my life verse. Psalm 138, 8. God will perfect everything that concerns you. He cares about you. He knows the hurts and the wounds in your heart, but you've got to let your heart be open and get real with yourself. Because you, we get busy and stuff, it, and we just go on, put a smile on our face and go on. But you've got to take time to be still, hear his voice, and let him deal with the wounds in your heart. Because it's very easy in our society to just get busy and mask it and go on. But, it, but God has freedom for you. I was, uh, Psalm 23, uh, I'm going to read that to end up. Because I think God is a good, good God. He's a loyal shepherd. And I was really meditating on, think of David's life. Think of the choices he even made. Think of what he was sought after to be killed and all the wounds that happened to him, and then the choices he even made. But he knew God as shepherd. He knew the Lord was his shepherd. And the Lord is all of our shepherd, and he is a good shepherd, and he loves each and every one of you. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides for you in every area. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters, the restful, still waters. And he restores your soul. And he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's with you in the pit. He's with you in the palace. But you have to acknowledge him. It's your choice. You have to acknowledge that he's with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God has joy for you. And you know, um, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And a merry heart does good like a medicine. So laugh a lot. You know, get get with other people and, and choose to have fun together. You know, and, and, and that was hard for a lot for me because I was busy raising kids, working starting a business, but we, I tried to find the silver lining in everything that we went through, and it's possible. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, and he'll do that for you. Thank you. Amazing. Aren't these ladies amazing? Absolutely. Talk about being real. Last call for questions. Joni's here. Put your hand up if you have a question. I'm going to try to kind of group them according to similar themes so we can be timely here in, in the asking of the questions, okay? I'm going to go ahead and start with a couple I have for Nicole, and then I have a couple for you, and some of them will be kind of for whoever wants to. Nicole, this is for you. When I was 15, I got an abortion. It's been three years. I still have not told anyone. No one knows. What do I say? Or how, how do I tell my family? And this kind of goes hand in hand with the second question, which says, I have never dealt with my abortion. Where do I even start? I am so excited you're here. Um, 
And I'm just like, I would say for the young one, um, you need to pray. And I hope you're in a Christian family. Um, sometimes the non-Christian families can be a little bit more accepting, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> that's a sad truth. But I would pray, ask Holy Spirit to give you boldness. And seek out people that have, like, I don't know if you're in, you got, anybody was in the last session down here. But one of the very, very great steps that Pastor Chris is talking about, find somebody who's been in your situation and have, has overcome it successfully because they will give you the tools on how to walk over that bridge with you and um, pray for your family's heart. Pray for your family's heart. Um, and then for the other one, um, I can honestly tell you, the only my, my extended my mom and dad never knew as far as I know. Um, you know, of course, like I said, I, it was 17 years before I received healing. And that was 17 years ago, I just started thinking. So don't do the math. I'm not as old as the math comes up to be. So, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but they, they didn't, I, I never told them. You know, I came from a very unsafe family. We didn't have any grace in our family. Um, my children all know because when I started out doing um, public speaking and traveling and things like that, um, that was only fair because you don't want them to be caught off guard. And I'll never forget those conversations. My children were full of grace and acceptance. And they cried with me. And they were just like, that's, that's you know, we're, we're good. And so, um, but find somebody who has overcome and help you get through that. We all need support. Okay, one more question for you, Nicole, before we're going to go on to Mary. Um, this person says, I have a sister who had an abortion seven years ago. She's still deeply affected. How can I help my sister to come to know God and to accept his healing? Um, I would say just approach it with your, to your sister because a lot of times it's that unspoken elephant in the room that everybody knows it's there, but no one talks about it, which makes it like 12 times as uncomfortable. And so, you know, just take her out to coffee, take her out somewhere that's, you know, semi-private. When I told my daughter, we were sitting on the patio at Noodles and Company on 72nd Street, and it was a sunny day, so we both had sunglasses on, and I started telling her, and she just stopped, and I looked at her and said, do you feel like you need to go throw up? And uh, so she's like... I need a second. And so I would say you just need to open the conversation. She wants to have that conversation. She just doesn't know how because then she probably doesn't know how you're going to accept it. And then offer her resources. You know, don't try to solve everything for her. You know, be that ear. But offer her resources. Offer her hope. Let her know that you've talked to people and have heard from people that have received healing in this area. That'll give her hope. But that's what she's looking for. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, Mary, um, how can you begin to even deal with issues such as abandonment? Um, and how are we able to have joy and stress at the same moment? Well, life brings you stress because there's always things happening in your life, but we have the fruit of the spirit that dwells in us, which is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when we're going through things um, like abandonment, you know, um, abandonment is rejection, you know. And so it's like you have to turn it over to the Lord and know that he bore that for me, that I don't have to carry it. Because I could pack that in my backpack and take it for life, you know. And you can choose to keep it or you can choose to release it. And, um, and, and that's just bottom line. It's, it's surrendering to Jesus as he, he is Lord of everything. And as you give it to him and let him love you because you're beloved in him, then that abandonment issue, the rejection gets healed. And um, what was the second part? The stress and the joy? Oh, how do you both? Well, things happen. I mean, things hit you during the day. I mean, I mean, you go about your day, but you can call upon that joy that's residing within you. And look at the things that you can always look at things that make you laugh. You know, use laughter. Laughter is a huge, powerful tool, you know. And um, and again, it's a choice. I have to say this. You remember what I read in Philippians? You have to choose to be thankful. You have to choose to praise and thank even though you don't want to. I mean, if there's a situation that happens, it's an, be in the opposite spirit of what you want to do. I mean, you want to sometimes just get grumbly and complain and, and, again, turn it around and start saying, thank you, God. I praise you, God, for who you are, no matter what the circumstance. God, you are God. You're marvelous. I praise you. And that's an opposite thing, and it put, it's spiritual warfare when you start praising him. And if I can add on to that, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on our environment. I think all of us could say we're happy today because we're in a great, uplifting environment. We had a wonderful lunch. We got, you know, a nice enclosed place to be. Um, But joy is a decision. Joy is choosing to focus on God. And joy comes from inside of us. It's not dependent on our environment. Um, and, but that takes, it, it's one of those things. It's like everything else. It takes a, some mind training to focus on that. And also one thing I would encourage you is not to take your past as your identity. Don't be carrying it around as a, a bitter woman, a broken woman, a divorced woman, a post-aborted woman, an abused woman. That's not who your true identity is. Your identity is you're a child of the King. Amen. You're a piece of royalty Amen. and you need to treat yourself as such. Awesome. Okay, this question is for whoever would like to jump in. Um, This person is just feeling sad and very anxious just pretty much all the time and not even sure of the origin. It might be sympathy for others, um, but this person just is feeling, uh, sorry, this depression kind of comes and goes. Um, She feels like she's going through life and just not ever feeling alive. She's never excited about anything, just kind of feels like she's coasting. And what should she do about it? Well, I have to think about that. Because, you know, that's a hard place to be in, and I've been there. Um, I, I have been there. And, in fact, as of the last, I mean, uh, I'm sorry you're in that. Um, God is with you, even though you're going through that. You know, I don't know if you've opened up and shared that scenario with with anybody or have anybody that you can. Um, I'd be happy to after today to to spend meet with you and pray with you. Um, and it's important when you're going through that 
um, that you do have someone that you can connect with um, because you need to be lifted up. You need your arms lifted up um, in that time. You know, and again, it's running. It, it, it is. It's, it's not a cliche thing, and it, it's running to him. It, it's running to Jesus. And as you understand and you understand how much you're loved and how much he cares for you and he, he knows even what's going on, even with you right now, um, he will lift that off of you, you know, as you turn it to him. But I would be happy to afterward uh, get together with you and pray with you. And I just add on to that, too, is that that is a very lonely place to be, and it doesn't get better the longer you let it go, you know, if unassisted. Um, another thing, oh, it was so good. Oh, Pastor Chris, um, you know, we've, Chris and I have known each other for a long time, and I remember her talking about when she first started walking with the Lord, there was a woman who came alongside her and discipled her. And, you know, it's kind of like her, her um, spirituality coach or mentor, as we would call him now. And so I would say find someone who is walking the life that you want and ask them to help you with that. Because, you know, lots of times in churches we're so full of cliches and we're so full of, you know, like just leave it at the cross. Everything's good. But how do we do that? Seriously. And so we need to find people to help us. I, I'm sorry. I'm all about, like, functionality and just breaking things down to simple. But find someone who is walking the victorious life you want to walk and ask them to help you with that. Very good. Awesome. Okay, this person was brave enough to leave their name. Uh, and this message is for Nicole. This is by Denise. And she says, Nicole, I love you. Okay, this is for Mary. Um, <laughs> how did you handle the pain and the humiliation of being married and getting divorced from a pastor who was battling with homosexuality? And I'm going to couple that with this next question because this one is related. Mary, how, sorry, what do you think God thinks about homosexuality? Did you want me? I'll address the last one first. You know, when um, about homosexuality, God loves the homosexual. God loves the adulterer. God, and it's a sexual sin. And early on, uh, this whole process, God shared that with me. He said, you know what? He goes, it's the same thing as if I was going to go out and have an affair. It's the same. It's a sexual sin. And um, it it's a, it's a hard one, you know, because it opens... Nothing's too difficult to the Lord, though. But, I mean, it's just a sexual sin. And so it's just opening. God loves homosexuals and wants them set free. And there is freedom. There is freedom to be had from it. So, um, and the other one, can you read that again? About. How did you handle the pain and the humiliation of being married and getting divorced from a pastor who was a homosexual? That wasn't easy. Um, that was a process. And I remember when we moved back here because we had pastored here for years, seeing people, I felt like I had a scarlet letter D, you know, divorce on, you know, wherever I'd go. Because everyone's like, well, where, you know, what happened? Where, you know, where's your husband? And, and, I, and it was a tough thing. Um, but, you know, honestly, it's been, it's been a long process. And I've been in Bible school. And last year, 
is the first time, you know, when you have a deep wound in your heart, I had per- been pursuing freedom. And God is faithful. I, can t- I went out to school last year, and it's the word of God that will heal you. The word of God goes into your heart. It's a sword, and it heals. And it, when it comes out of your mouth, it brings healing. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. There's life in it. And I sat under the word daily, I mean hours, and in the word hours. And I can tell you healing came. And um, I had, I had uh, from the abandonment, I did not understand abandonment was rejection until last year and abuse. And so when that all came together for me from the Holy Spirit enlightening that to me, that it is a form of abuse, that I could release it because I never had seen it because I'd always, I became a pretty good enabler, you know, over our marriage because I always kind of made sure everything was propped up and everything was taken care of, you know. And and I had to uh, understand that in revelation in my own heart before I could get set free and not carry it anymore. One thing I'd I'd just like to tag on is that it's us as humans that make the different levels of ick as far as sin goes. You know, some some sin just has more visible immediate consequences, um, such as if somebody is living an overt homosexual lifestyle. That's easy for us to see. It's not easy easy for us to see for people who dishonor their spouses, which is sin. It's not easy for us to see the people that gossip and rumor monger, which is a sin. And so as humans, we put the different ick factors on sin. Sin is sin. And so it's important for us to see people, try to see people as God sees them. Now, not condoning the sin, you understand that, but seeing them as God sees them. There is a differentiation when you look in the word, though, and study with homosexuality, because it does say it's an abomination, because God designed man to be with woman, not woman with woman, man and man. But is God provide freedom? Yes. Does God love the homosexual? Yes. Is there freedom to be had? For sure. You know, but if you look in the word and see what it says, it's because it's such a perverted, twisted way from God's design to be. So that's why he calls it an abomination. Okay. This is a question regarding mental health. Okay. So either of you can jump in with this one. Uh, Mental health issues and depression. um, This person said it, they just seem to never end. What do I do? Especially when I'm low on finances. Okay. So mental health and depression. Okay. Mental health issues and depression is what this person is suffering with, and it seems like it will never end. What is a person to do, especially when I'm low on finances? Just, just from the industry I work in, um, there are resources out there. You need to reach out. If you're on Medicaid, Medicare, there are resources out there. Um, also, churches lots of times have got counseling sessions and, and um, things like that. So you're going to need to do some digging, but there are resources out there. Don't give up. And I want to encourage you because my husband dealt, he was diagnosed with being bipolar. I never got there. And he also was diagnosed as being schizophrenic. And so, um, and honestly, Briefly, he, he was, had a lot of attacks. He was hit 
hard by the enemy all through his childhood. So, and a lot of the doors opened up then. But I can say that healing can come. And, you know, even with him walking through what he went through, he never was medicated. And it was honestly, again, the word of God. Get The word of God is powerful. It, it's a powerful healing tool. So when you're struggling, again, get that word. Start confessing it out of your mouth, speaking healing over yourself. And another, th- what Nicole said too is such a great idea, is find someone who's walked through it and connect to them and uh, get encouraged from them and have ministry. Um, get mentored by them, be discipled to walk through it. Thank you. This is regarding grief. How do you walk through the grieving process without wearing it on your sleeve, but still honoring the journey that you are still on? Um, I still have to show up for work and life, but I'm dealing with an intense heaviness of grief. Um, You know, grief is real. And you're going to go through that time of of going through sadness. But when you have it overtake you, it becomes more like depression and you get stuck in it. I mean, you don't need to get stuck into that grief process. Um, uh, You need to allow yourself some time to go through it. But if you're noticing you're not able to come out of it, then um, I think it's changed from grief into more depression that you're going through. Um, so it would be good, again, to call someone, get some counseling, um, because you never were meant to stay stuck there. And, uh, yes, there's time that you got to allow yourself to go through loss, go through the hurts and stuff, but, but don't stay stuck there, and uh, you don't need to. Amen. I have done grief counseling, so can I butt in here? Um, okay. So regarding grief, we kind of suggest to people that, for the first year, if you've had a devastating loss, let yourself grieve fully. It's really, really important to grieve. You can't fast forward. You can't do the fast track. You've, you really have to grieve. So at the same time as you don't get it, gonna get, you don't want to get stuck. It's important to grieve. It's important to process that. You know, some countries they they wear black for the first year, and we just think that's kind of crazy. But in a way, it's kind of good because it's an outward symbol that. You know, let's just pamper her for a little bit. She's going through a rough time. Let's just not put too much on her plate right now. Let's just give her a bit of, cut some slack. Because we we rush through it too quickly oftentimes. There's both sides of it. Um, And it's just super important when you go through grief that you've got to go through it. And he'll meet you there. Yeah, very important. And I would say that as far as honoring, you know, I think that was part of it. How do you, how do you honor that? Um, whether it be a memory of a person, a memory of a relationship, you know, whatever it is, um, go allow yourself to go through that grief, but don't let, allow it to become a spirit of grief yeah. and overcome you. But also, when you get to that point, you'll know when to release it to God. And he is the, the best honorer of all. And, you know, it's not ours to carry, you know, and because then um, we're not allowing that release to God. It's almost like, I don't trust you, God, to handle this, you know, when, when we get to that point of being able to release it. Now, Isaiah 53, it says that he bore our grief and carried our sorrows. And so when we can give them to him constantly, you know, we care, you're in a process. And it's just like, God, I'm overwhelmed with this, but I give it to you. And it may take a while. 
but you keep turning it and giving it to him and let him carry it because he did he did take those for us we don't have to carry it releasing is not the same as dishonoring and releasing is not the same as forgetting you know that makes any sense releasing is freedom okay if anyone's brave enough to raise your hand for a question we have five more minutes if there's actually yeah and plus we're going to be uh hanging out at the end if we if you'd like to come up to one of us and ask some questions and pray with you specifically but if there's anyone real quick who really has one more question you want to ask otherwise okay well thank you very much for coming and oh we'll do one more real quick here um and then we'll we'll be available at the end So you're seeing this carrying on you and your children. You personally had to give up your child to the courts. And now you see your children going through a difficult. Okay. And how do you do that? How do you process them going through what you've been through? So it's like a double loss, yes. And it's the loss of a dream. Number one, I admire your strength and your courage. Number two, I would say give yourself permission to mourn this. It is, it is like a loss or a death, okay, of our dreams. You know, um, sometimes, so many times people think that a loss is something tangible, you know, a loss of a child or a loss of a car, a loss of a job. A lot of times, you know, our dreams, a loss of a dream is, is just as valid to mourn. Give yourself permission to do that. Surround yourself with people, healthy people that can help you mourn that. Okay? Right. I, I, I took, right, right. One thing I, I would recommend, yay. Um, you know, what I would say is, is get, get into something like ultimate journey, fresh start, something where you'll learn to really, truly, truly. I, I, I understand. I get it. Totally get it. Yeah. But those are people that are going to surround you. You guys are all there for the same reason. Facilitators in either one of those groups, Fresh Start or Ultimate Journey, have been, th- been there, done that. Okay? And you're going to find camaraderie. 
this is what we need because the enemy will try to isolate you and tell you you're the only one to ever go through this. And what's your stinking problem? Why can't you handle it? You know? And so give yourself, number one, permission. It's okay to feel that way. All right? But don't treat yourself well enough to not stay there. Okay? Get to ultimate journey. Get to fresh start. Surround yourself with people of strength and character that are going to walk you through this. Okay? And because you're, you're, somebody's there that needs you also.